Hi, everyone. Hello, hello. And welcome to the Health Works Podcast. And yes, that's Works with an X. This podcast is about the importance of wellness and how everyone deserves access to affordable health care. We are here to tell you it's possible. And we have the solution. We are your host. I am Bridget Weisberg. And I am Dr. Deanna McCausham. And we want to encourage our listeners to be more aware of their individual health and let you know you have options. With Extension Health, our nonprofit wellness company, we let the people have access to a no-cost health program. So you can now be on your way to a lifestyle of healthy living. Hello, hello. And welcome to the Health Works Podcast. Our topic today is the U.S. healthcare system and how it has evolved exponentially since the 20th century. We still have a long way to go, but I know my two guests today are working on making it better and better. We are your host. I am Bridget Iceberg, And I am Dr. Diana McCausham. Before we introduce our guest, here is a little bit of history on the healthcare system. The insurance industry has undergone numerous changes from when it began in the 20th century to the recent enactment of the Patient Protection and Affordable Act. The rapid evolution of the health insurance industry was occasioned by the rising medical costs and increased demand for the medical care, which characterized the past century. Over the years, something that began as a somewhat simple system has undergone tremendous changes to become an increasingly complex system. Thanks to the new plans designed uh, CHIPS, Children's Health Insurance Program, and the HMOs, and increased government reforms. The USA did not have any health insurance and policies that resembled those in effect presently until the 1920s. However, the existing health insurance has strong connections to the sickness insurance funds, which were put into place in the early 20th century. In many European countries, the sickness funds were made mandatory for particular trade and industry early enough. But in the USA, it was a bit delayed because it was seen as an interference with the states and business affairs. The 1930s and the Great Depression created perfect conditions for a need for compulsory health insurance, universal health care, but the economic conditions of the majority of the population has shifted the focus on issues like unemployment. The President of the United States at the time, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, worked on a health insurance bill that included what was referred to as old age benefits. However, the American Medical Association once again opposed the plan for a national health care, causing the president to drop the health insurance part of the bill, resulting in the Social Security Act of 1935. In 1965, the Social Security Act was signed into effect by President Lyndon Johnson, which ultimately gave birth to Medicare. In 1986, President Reagan signed the Consolidated Ombudsman Budget Reconciliation Act, known as COBRA. It was not until 2006 and 2007 that healthcare reforms gained importance, and in 2009, following the inauguration of President Obama. In September 2009, legislation that would later result in the enactment of the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act was introduced in the Congress for the first time. Unlike the previous attempts 
the Obama Plan, as it came to be known as, which was a reconciliation of the two bills, was voted on and enacted into law on March 23, 2010. So, a lot has changed since the 20th century. As we fast forward to the present day, here we are with Worksite HR and Extension Health, along with Teladocs International, which have formulated this amazing plan that is really making a difference in the health industry already. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Dr. John Zaboski and my lovely co-host, Dr. Deanna McCosham, authors of The Wellness Imperative. Hello, guys. Good afternoon. Hey, guys, once again. So, Dr. Zaboski, let's start off with some more history. We have heard the catchphrase, healthy people, used a lot in wellness. Where does that phrase come from and why the association? Thank you, Bridget. Uh, the healthy people catchphrase actually goes back to 1979. Surgeon General Julius Richmond had actually authored a landmark report entitled Healthy People. Now, it was actually Healthy People, the Surgeon General's report, yada, yada. But it signified an emerging consensus in the health community that the country's health strategy was going to require a major overhaul to focus on the prevention of disease rather than simply treatment of it. So it established for the first time actual objectives that were ambitious, but yet quantifiable now with the goal of dramatically improving the nation's health and the workers' health by 1990. Wow. Can you tell us more about those goals and objectives? Yeah, absolutely. There were five primary goals of this report, uh, and it was to help the U.S. working population in five stages, infants, children, adolescents, young adults, adults, and then older adults, with, of course, the earlier stages being able to make make the youth and the work and the younger workforce healthy so that by the time they got in to the general workforce, they were productive citizens, so to speak. So, that, well, the importance of that, one other really important thing, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but that 1979 report encouraged people to take individual responsibility for their health and proper nutrition. Okay. And that's going to be in part and really important to understand that the onus was based and put on the individual rather than the company at this point in time. So good intentions, but responsibility was put on employees to basically help themselves, so to speak. Right, that's correct. So this five major life theme continued through the decades as part of, the health, uh, as part of this Healthy People Initiative. And over 20 years later, the Healthy People 2000 Initiative now was to commit the nation to the realization of three broader goals, okay? Now these goals were to increase the span of healthy life, to reduce health disparities among working Americans, and to achieve access to, key thing here, preventative services for all Americans. Realizations of these goals would help the nation reach its full working potential, getting people to increase their standard of living, their health, their health condition, and be able to be more productive at work. Now, it's important to understand there's a significant departure here from the original Healthy People report. Healthy People 2000 now called on employers rather than the individual to lead the way to better living. And if you could think about it, guys, this totally makes sense. I mean, on average, Americans who work full time spend more than one third of their day, five days a week at the workplace. I would say that's a pretty good amount of time. I mean, why not start there, right? Yeah. That's exactly right, Deanna. Preventative wellness services and chronic disease management actually became the focus of organizational wellness programs. And it was done in an attempt to promote good health or at least identify and correct potential health-related problems to develop these high-functioning employees. 
And by doing so, organizational wellness programs began to seek to reduce economic burden because of illness-related loss of productivity. So this way now, we're reducing, we're reducing economic burden because we're now reducing the abs absenteeism and increasing work performance. And unfortunately, guys, we still have a long way to go. And the numbers speak for themselves. I mean, according to the CDC, preventable chronic conditions are still a major contributor to the cost of insurance premiums and employee medical claims, which are actually at an all-time high and continue to rise. This also means employers are paying a high price in terms of loss of productivity from employee illness. And, you know, some of these conditions are preventable. Four of the 10 most costly health conditions for U.S. employers are angina, more commonly known as chest pain, high blood pressure, diabetes, and heart attack, which, if not controlled, can lead to heart disease and stroke. So if we can control that high blood pressure, we can control that diabetes, we can prevent that patient from progressing to a more serious condition that will in return require more visits to the doctor, more medications, and so on. But that's not all. Let's talk about something people talk about nowadays, stress. Work-related stress is a leading workplace health problem and a major occupational health risk, ranking even above physical inactivity and obesity. And all this leads to missed work and productivity losses from missed work cost employers, guess what, $225 billion. So that is approximately $1,685 per employee each year. That's a lot. But let's talk even more basic. Weight. Full-time workers who are overweight or obese and have other chronic health problems miss about 450 million more days of work each year than healthy workers. That results in an estimated cost of more than $153 billion in lost productivity each year. So what happens if we reduce some of these health risks? Well, a 1% annual reduction, just, you know, just by reducing some of these risks, a 1% annual reduction in the level of four of the risks such as weight, blood pressure, glucose, and cholesterol. So we can control these. It has been shown to save 83 to 103 annually in medical costs per person. So, to sum it all up, chronic and mental health conditions represent about 90% of the nation's 3.3 trillion healthcare expenditures, which can all be reduced just by starting with prevention. That's definitely a high economic burden, but can wellness programs really make a difference? Have there been any studies done to confirm the positive effect of wellness programs on the workforce? Uh, yes, Bridget. In fact, uh, one such study was done back in 2008, uh, was done by Parks and Steelman, who, in order to actually emphasize the effects of a less than healthy workforce, published what they called a meta-analysis. And that included articles and dissertations going back to 1980, coming forward to 2005, focusing on the effects of participation in wellness programs and it, how it affected absenteeism and job satisfaction. Now, both of those are key factors in an organization's productivity in order to help determine if, in fact, the benefits of wellness programs actually justify the expense of their implementation and maintenance. Now, 
absenteeism was estimated to cost organizations more than $26 million a, a year, all right? Mm-hmm. And accounted for like 10.4 million, million work days lost each year. Wow. Job satisfaction, on the other hand, but not less important, is associated with an employee's view and their attitude towards their their employer and their the overall organization, mm-hmm. which in turn can affect their work performance. Now, the Parks and Steelman analysis concluded that participation in an organizational wellness program, and I'm quoting that participation in an organizational wellness program overall was associated with lower absenteeism rates and and higher job satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Now, that study found that participation in the wellness programs was associated with healthier employees, reducing the likelihood of sickness-related absences. So they also found an increment in job satisfaction based on three other supporting findings, Mm -hmm. right? And one was positive impact on employees' views of the perceived organizational support system. So the employee, in other words, believing the employer actually cared, you know, gave a hoot about it, really, right? And then wellness programs may be seen as an additional perk in today's society, which is starting to see the importance of health and fitness awareness, making it an attractive recruiting tool, a possible deal maker, deal breaker when considering a new job opportunity. I mean, we saw that a few years ago when we implemented the program for a health and fitness organization, mm-hmm. right? And there are so many different health and fitness organizations and they all have individual trainers that come and work for them. Well, we found that when we implemented our program that this health and fitness organization retained these trainers at a much greater rate than the competitors who were often just down the street. Mm-hmm. Right. And the third one is, is that wellness programs encourage healthy lifestyles right, and stress management. And even though it's not as quantifiable, it's still known and shown to improve job satisfaction by reducing the stress level. Wow. That's awesome. So what happened? Were the goals of Healthy People 2000 ever met? No, they were not met. Those original goals were to have 75% of organizations have 50% or more of their employees in a wellness program, and they weren't met. That prompted Healthy People 2010. Wow. Well, that's disappointing. Um, John, where has that left us now? Well, um, it actually leaves us now with, or then, with Healthy People 2010. So originally we had Healthy People 2000. Now we have, and that failed, right? Crash and burn. So now we have Healthy People 2010, Objectives for Improving Health. It was released in January 2000, once they realized that Healthy People 2000 was going to fail. And it carries the Healthy People Initiative into the next decade, into the next millennium, et cetera. All right. So as this third generation of 10-year goals for the country comes about, it builds on initiatives pursued over the previous two decades, all right? So Healthy People 2000 and before that as well, all right? And it now introduces for the first time a set of 10 what we call leading health indicators, okay? And the reason they did this, all right, was to serve as an instrument of the nation's well-being, all right? Trying to give us certain things, certain tangible goals or things to shoot for so we could start quantifying things and hopefully that would lead to more success, mm-hmm. all right? So they were cho- chosen for that and because of their importance to public health health issues, all right? So the 10 LHIs, as they're called, are physical activity, overweight and obesity, tobacco use, substance abuse, responsible sexual behavior, mental health, injury violence, environmental quality, immunization, and very important, access to healthcare, 
All right. So this last but not least objective became the focus of PPACA, Obamacare, ACA, whatever you want to call it. All right. Mm -hmm. It was the passage of this act combined with decades of all the numerous cooperative efforts by the agencies and institutions pushing healthy people, which brought us to where we are today. And Dr. Deanna, what exactly is PPACA? So, Bridget, PPACA, also more commonly referred to as Affordable Care Act, or as some people may know it, Obamacare, is actually the landmark health reform legislation which was signed into law by President Barack Obama back in 2010. And it clearly outlines the 10 essential health benefits that all fully insured plans must cover for such plans to actually be considered qualified health plans. So, you guys might be wondering, and in case you guys are wondering, these benefits include ambulatory patient services, which were also known as outpatient services, so that's any type of same-day surgery. That also includes emergency services, hospitalization, maternity and newborn care. We also have mental health and substance use disorder services, and that's where we would include behavioral health treatment. We also have prescription drugs, then there's rehabilitative and habilitative services and devices. So when we're talking about this, we're talking about those that help patients acquire and not only acquire, but also maintain or improve skills that are necessary for daily functioning. So a patient that maybe got into a car accident or maybe after surgery, they require physical therapy. That's where that would fall into. Then we also have laboratory services, and then we have preventive and wellness services, as well as chronic disease management, which is very important. And last but not least, we have pediatric services, which also include oral and vision care. So what role does Worksite HR and its subsidiaries play in this wellness era? So Worksite HR and its subsidiaries actually have a very clear set of goals, and all that starts by providing a service that can improve employee health. We want to be able to improve an employee's well-being, you know, improve their safety. So that in return should decrease disability, you know, it should decrease healthcare utilization, and ultimately it should decrease costs. So we're going to have healthy employees, we're going to have happy employees, and that's going to increase worker productivity. You know, the employee's going to be more creative, the employee's going to be more engaged, and who wouldn't want to work in a place where they feel appreciated and taken care of, right? So that is also going to help in attracting and retaining top talent, among other things. So what exactly is it that Worksite HR and its subsidiaries offer? And what is being done to achieve these goals? Well, what we offer, Bridget, is we offer a kind of a medical slash wellness program, right? So it deals with a lot of the things that qualified health plans offer, but not all of them, essentially. All right. Um, we offer uh, health risk assessment. We offer chronic condition management. We offer minimum essential care. And in that minimum essential care, it includes preventative visits as well as sick visits. All right. Um, we offer unlimited telehealth. Right? We are getting ready and in, in the process of being able to go even further and now offer lab work, wow. offer imaging, mm -hmm. and down the road and hopefully in the not too distant future, um, we're going to be offering hospitalization as well to where our plan will actually wow. work itself into, into a qualified health plan. And I want to mention a little bit, Bridget, and 
going into a little bit of more of details on, on what we're offering, because, I mean, John mentioned something that's called Teladox, and, you know, a lot of people are like, what is Teladox, you know? So Teladox is basically telemedicine, and what it allows is for people to actually, from their house, from the convenience of their house, you know, or work, or anything like be able to talk to a medical provider they can either do it through the phone they can do it you know through their um through their computer through a portal and be able to contact a medical provider you know the medical provider will listen to you they will diagnose you they will treat you and if they need to give you prescriptions they'll just call it in and then all you have to do is pick it up i mean nowadays with all you know this technology and all this time that we need to you know try and save time and stuff like that i think that's just a great idea you know you don't have to go to the er expose yourself to maybe even you know getting something else you know with all the viruses and going on and then you don't have to if you have kids you don't have to worry about like oh my god i gotta get a babysitter to go to the doctor you know so that's something that makes you know your life and apparently like you know people's life it's going to be a lot more easier Obviously, there are conditions that we can't treat over the phone, but, you know, there's other situations that we can just improve by just picking up the phone and making a call. And you know what? The best part about this is that Teladox is not only offered to their employees, but as John said, you know, it's free and it's free for not them only, but also for their family. Yeah, great add-in. So that's one of the good things that we have. Yeah. We also have all the preventive services. um, And on top of that, we have the coaching. So, and the good thing that I like about the coaching is that it's personalized, you know, it's a one-to-one, it's not something general, you know, we look at your personal history, you know, we look at, um, you know, your goals, what you want to achieve, and then we make a plan based for your needs. It's a personalized plan. We worry about you, we don't worry about the masses, we take you into account. And just so everybody knows, uh, I'm a PhD, all right? Deanna is an MD, so she knows. I mean, she's on the front lines of this every day. So she knows. So when it comes to treatment and so forth, she sees what's successful, what isn't successful, what's used, and what isn't. Yeah. And wait, wait, wait. Let's take it back. Step. um, So all of this is at no cost, you guys? How How is that even possible? (laughs) Please explain that to the people. You know, it's not as crazy as it sounds really i mean it's or as difficult even as it sounds um there are there are three main components of course and there's worksite hr which is a third-party administrator there's the teledocs company which is the telehealth and then the wellness coaching and so forth is done by uh, extension health which is a nonprofit, a 501c3 nonprofit. The 501c3 nonprofit was set up to do one specific thing, and that is provide subsidized wellness programs to lower wage employees. All right. So simply by working with other third party worksite HR, but it's also open to other third party administrators, Extension Health uses a lot of the money that it receives for providing services and donates it back as a gift to the employees who are participating in the programs. Mm -hmm. And that's really all it takes. Is just a, is cooperation between TPAs and wellness companies um, to be able to make such a huge difference in the lives of these employees. That's that's truly amazing. And so, taking into account that at this moment, not all services are covered by your wellness program, such as hospitalization, for example. But we might get there. 
Um, what would an employee need to do to get additional coverage? Does the company offer it or what does it depend on? Well, the employee, I mean, pretty much everything except hospitalization is covered. All right. Mm-hmm. And because and, we're, we are introducing, we're rolling out the labs and imaging as yeah. we speak. Okay. So the hospitalization element is the part that some people want covered. Now, a lot of people don't cover, don't even want to cover the hospitalization anyway, because let's face it, on a lot of insurance plans out there, you're going to get a five to $7,000 deductible. Yeah, it's too hot. Right. So their, their hospitalization is going to come out of pocket. Mm-hmm. All right. And even after they meet the deductible, a lot of times there's a 70, 30 or 70, 40 split. So where, so where the employee is still going to be paying 40% of whatever their hospital exactly. bill is. Exactly. Right. So it almost makes, the hospitalization element valueless, right? And and the only time it comes into play is 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 for catastrophic type coverage, mm-hmm. all right? So, but we do offer hospital, you know, we we do offer things like hospital indemnity plans and so forth, um, which will cover, you know, their indebt their fixed indemnity programs, uh, and the employee has to purchase that outside of the wellness, mm-hmm. but it still does provide you know coverage just in case you know, somebody breaks an arm or a leg, mm-hmm. they get a fixed amount. Uh, from those programs. Uh, but as I said, um, there are, you know, majority, the majority of people out there never even, never even receive money from an insurance company for hospitalization. So Deanna, once an employee is enrolled, how can they make the most of it? You know, I think actually the most important thing is for an employee to have that attitude, you know, and that will to want to improve their health, you know, and for them to want to start um, a path towards a healthier living. We're going to provide them with all the tools and try to help them as much as we can. And it can all start by simply filling out a health risk assessment. You know, that's going to give us an idea of the employee's actual health status, and we could start working from there one-on-one. We're going to take into account their health status, their goals, you know, their needs. And believe me, we really have all the disposition to help them. And we will do as much as we can on our end, as long as they put the effort and take that first step. Wow. Thank you guys so much for um, teaching us, enlightening our minds about the health industry and what we have had and what we can have in the future. Uh, it's truly awesome. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, really what we're trying to do here, Bridget, is we're, we're trying to improve the general health of the American workforce. Yeah. Right? I mean, initially the onus was placed on the employee. Now it's on the employer. And it didn't work when it was on the employee simply because it, it, the, the employees got to think about, you know, what they what do they have to sacrifice in order to, stay healthy? Do they have to cut out work hours? You know, they have to cut out hours from their kids and so forth. Yeah, right. And I mean, and we brought you guys facts. I mean, we've uh, given you numbers. I mean, it's, it's really a problem. It's really a problem. And, you know, starting at the workforce has shown that that's where we can start and, you know, see some improvement. So it's really up to you guys, you know, you know, to our listeners, what do you want to do to start, you know, having a healthy life? And to the employers, what do you want to do to increase your productivity at work? You want to have healthy employees or not? And listeners, listeners, reach out to your employers. I mean, let them know about this program and let them know that it it doesn't, it not only doesn't cost them anything, 
but they're going to save, you know, 30 to $35 a month per participant because it's a cafeteria plan. So it's free to them. It's free to you. Um, and it's definitely, you know, it's definitely worth your while to make sure that, that your employer knows about it. Exactly. Well, wow. thank you guys so much. And it was great having John back on the podcast. Thank and you. Uh, I always have a good time with Dr. Deanna. So <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me as a host and guest today. <laughs> and um, everybody, I guess we will see you. Um, not see you. <laughs> don't know. Everybody, I guess, um, you know, till next time. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Bye, all. Thank you. <laughs> see you all later. <laughs> Bye.